to It's a Scary Life. Hello. I am your host, Melody, and this is my gorgeous and wonderful co-host, Ellen. Hi. (laughs) We are back to tell you another scary tale from, you know, the real world. Okay. So I've gotten a couple of clues. It is from the 1920s. Yes. And uh, it's going to be rough. Yeah, there's gonna be, be some rough, rough parts. It's a rough one. Oi. <laughs> Happy Fourth. Oh yes. Um, as we are recording, it is July Fourth, and we <laughs> hope that you had a ju- happy July Fourth this uh, past weekend yourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Hope you uh, didn't drink too hard or get sick or anything. Get like sick. someone or something on fire that you weren't supposed to. <laughs> hope you stayed out of the hospital. Yes. Yes, I hope you kept all of your appendages and limbs. Uh Mm Uh-huh. And if not, I wish you a great recovery and happy healing. And, uh, you know, prosthetics are a thing, and they are valid. Yeah. Yeah. You can run with a prosthetic leg, I promise. They're really cool. They are really cool. (laughs) But also just try not to get terribly injured, you know, in general. Yeah, don't do it on purpose. No. Right. It's just if you do. You they're know, good, but they're, you know, we, we don't have, like, the cool bionic ones quite yet. Yeah, I think we're getting there. They're pretty expensive, but we're getting there. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> Anywho. Oh, gosh. So, what are we talking about today? Uh, I would like to start us off, as always, by thanking our listeners for listening in. I know you're out there. My analytics tells me so. So I would, and I would also like to thank our patrons for donating your hard-earned money to us. We appreciate it greatly. We do have another new patron this week, my dear brother Sean, who had also gifted us the sound equipment. Sean, Woo! thank you so much. <laughs> um, your support is truly amazing and just honestly overwhelmingly kind. And then, if you yourself would also like to become a patron, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash is a scary life to sign up it'll help us continuously improve the show and build plans for the future yeah yay and also <laughs> feed our cats fancy food yes because they're both picky picky cats god <laughs> only eats chicken only chicken yeah hess i've realized wants me to be like giving her like three or four different kinds of wet food oh but like cycling them through. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. She's high maintenance. Fun. God's bless. Fun. We love her. <laughs> <laughs> it's all it's all we can ask for. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. At least she's eating, you know? She is she yeah. sure is. Yeah. <laughs> Ellen, today you're probably going to be feeling a lot of hate towards being a white people. Ah, uh, yes. Today, which is different from all days. Ah, uh, well, at least I'm used to it. <laughs> I mean, that's that's okay for you. That's mm-hmm. okay. So today we are discussing a piece of American history that people had attempted to bury forever, but a resurgence of organizing to keep historical events like this one alive in our memory following the civil rights movement has brought it to the forefront of topics talked about in our history. Oh, good. Yes, because honestly, one of the scariest things in this life are the things Americans have done and gotten away with. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. American history is a terrifying thing. So today we go back a century to the Tulsa Race Massacre. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. you've named this, seen this in a particular event in the news lately. It made headlines last year when a mass grave was found in Oaklawn Cemetery in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and recovered many bodies believed to be victims of the massacre. Then again, this year, as the centennial itself passed. I've found this is an event from history most people I encounter know kind of nothing about. And that is partly by design of the Tulsa City officials in 1921, who tried to bury the entire event. I mean, it's not surprising, but I'm still disappointed and angry about it. Yes. Yeah. Of course. So if the massacre was mentioned in an Oklahoma textbook, the passage was brief. Many textbooks skipped it over it altogether. And it was in the 70s many survivors started talking about their experience in the massacre, feeling empowered by the civil rights movement and social changes they witnessed. Because the Till family wouldn't let go quietly, because Rosa Parks defiantly sat down, because freedom writers rode through the South because of marches, because of the socialism of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., these people made sure this history was not lost. And the Tulsa Race Massacre is now a nationally known event. I would like to give a massive thank you to my sources for being fantastic for today's podcast. I began my research with the Tulsa Historical Society and Historical Museum and the Encyclopedia of Oklahoma History and Culture, whose entries about the Tulsa Rakes Massacre were actually quite excellent and proved to be strong sources for the event itself. Mm. The historians who put those entries together were accurate and told the truth of the situation, which is a level of decency we are not used to here in the U.S. of A. So, yeah. you know, nice. Yeah. <laughs> I did also read through the White House letter for the anniversary of the Tulsa Race Massacre, which I do highly recommend reading. The White House staffer who wrote it for President Biden did a wonderful job, and their work should be recognized. <laughs> you mean he doesn't write all of his speeches himself? <sighs> I find I... it horrifying people think the president actually does that. Like, they don't write majority of what they say. No, I'm I sorry, guy. I watched West Wing. I know this stuff. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's very horrifying to me when someone thinks the president actually personally writes their speech. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. There's a team of people on that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, yeah, I think we can all truly say Trump was uh, someone who wrote his own speeches sometimes. Well, I mean, the problem was that people he wrote go speeches speech. for him and then. He would go off the yeah. speech, yeah. Listen to your speechwriters, folks. Or don't if you're a terrible human being. <laughs> Again, there's a double standard here. Always. Mm -hmm. Always. We, um, we want to find the terrible ones so we know who to rehabilitate. All right. Um, <laughs> so next, I used several articles from the History Channel mm -hmm. that included so much more information about the people in the Greenwood District prior to the massacre and really centered their accomplishments, which I mm -hmm. thought, good touch. Thank you. Because it was a fairly affluent area, right? It was fantastically affluent. I want to talk about the phrasing riot versus massacre. You may have heard of this historical incident as the Tulsa Race Riot instead of the Tulsa Race Massacre. 
And I feel what it's important to go over why people are shifting the name of the event. Mm -hmm. So first we should just examine the meaning behind the words riot and massacre, then look into the connotations beyond that. A riot is defined as a tumultuous disturbance of the public peace by three or more persons assembled together and acting with common intent. And a massacre is described as the, as the act or an instance of killing a number of usually helpless or unresisting human beings under circumstances of atrocity or cruelty. So by those definitions alone, both words work to describe the event simultaneously from the two different perspectives of the citizens of Tulsa involved. Mm -hmm. But now we have to take into account why it was officially called a riot on the record in the first place to understand the connotations. Yeah. You see, if you're damaged, your home is damaged or you lose your life in a massacre, insurance will then pay <gasps> out no. for the damage and your life insurance oh, policy. Fuck. But if what's insured is damaged in a riot that can be linked to you as starting <gasps> it in any way, then they will not pay. So the city of Tulsa named the event the Tulsa Race Riot and blamed it on the members of the Greenwood District to prevent the Black residents of Greenwood District from having anything to rebuild. Can I go break a plate? No fast. <laughs> um, oh my god. That that really shouldn't surprise me. I just didn't know that part. And I'm a little mad now. So this is why the Race Riot Commission have officially changed the name in Tulsa Records to push for and push for others to update their historical record and use Tulsa Race Massacre. You don't say. I mean, also just as far as connotations go, riot kind of implies that somewhat that like there were two or more sides, all sides doing violence. Like that's kind of like the modern. That's what I feel like the connotations are nowadays. Yeah, nowadays I would say throughout the twentieth century, the the connotations of a riot is white people fucking up. Um, I mean, that's also fair. Like it's yeah, usually, it's usually a race thing. Yeah. Melody, what about sports things? Oh, no, that's the modern. Yeah. That's the modern reason they riot. That's fair. Before, it was always a race thing of some sort. At some point, it did become a little bit more positive because there were race riots over being able to listen to music in the 1950s. Oh, like yeah. They wanted, like, white kids wanted to listen to Chuck Berry and people shut it down and they rioted. God's bless. <laughs> Like, oh God! So like, I can I can respect that. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> I was just like, okay, yeah, like fair. You want to accept other people, yeah, and their talents and things. Mm-hmm. Um, God bless. So, we do an episode on that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll see that if it's, uh, there's enough info. If not, then it will be a Patreon episode. Ooh, yeah, little bonus. So, Black people have been living in Oklahoma for quite a long time. In the mid-19th century, when the state was still known as Indian Territory, many enslaved were sold to the Cherokee, Chickasaw, Choctaw, Creek, and Seminole tribes, or, as known by white supremacists, the five civilized tribes. Yeah, coming across that term was not fun. (sighs) I'm sure... (laughs) 
They were given that name because they assimilated well to Anglo-American norms. I'm just real tired. Like, (sighs) luckily, the tribes emancipated all the people sold to them and the black people were able to settle the land and maintain relationships with the native tribes. Some people were even integrated into the tribes. I mean, in fairness, that is more civilized than what the white supremacists were doing, so... (laughs) But, oh, God. Like, I see why the tribes got involved in the sale, but damn. Fucking hell. Melody, there's going to be a lot of swearing in this episode. Yep. Fuck. Okay. So, when the Dawes Act passed in 1887, granting Native people land in the Indian Territory, it also applied to the Black members, which is great. Nice! Yes. And this is why there's a lot of Black people in Oklahoma. Ah, and then you can get, like, the generational wealth going. Uh (gasps) Uh-huh. That's kind of cool. Yeah, so this made a space in the middle of the country that was safe for Black people to migrate. And when the Civil War ended, bringing emancipation, it became the very space Black people wanted to be. The Great Migration began 1865 and ended in 1920. During that time, more than 50 Black townships sprang up in Oklahoma. Oh, that's so cool! In Tulsa, around the turn of the 20th century, due to segregation and a desire to keep money within the Black community circulating Mm -hmm. within themselves... The citizens of the Greenwood District managed to build a thriving community, starting with O.W. Gurley, who purchased 40 acres that would later be Greenwood Avenue. He built a rooming house and sold residential and commercial plots. From here, he started to give loans to other Black entrepreneurs to help them get their own businesses off the ground. And the residents of Greenwood created an enviable district. The Greenwood District, named after North Greenwood Avenue, where Gurley's boarding house was, had become known as Black Wall Street. They had their own banks, stores, restaurants, grocery shops, pool halls, newspaper, and movie house. There were doctors, lawyers, and dentists fully trained from the vocational schools that popped up in an effort for a Black upward movement following the end of the Civil War serving the community. The residents of Greenwood were stylishly dressed. Many pictures of them show men and women in nicely tailored suits. One photo I saw had a man dressed in an oversized suit to show off his ability to pay for the extra fabric. Yeah. Very early, yeah. very early 20th century statement to make something oversized mm-hmm. to show off that you could pay for that. Right. And women can be seen wearing loose dresses with scooping necks that were popular in post-Iswarian fashions. Greenwood was considered the wealthiest Black enclave in the nation. They even boasted about their new motor cars. When you match up this success within the Black community with the extreme life under Jim Crow, you can see where the tensions in Tulsa were already rising. Yeah. The upward mobility of the community seemed to be able to create for themselves became something the white people of Tulsa feared. After World War I ended, these tensions rose even higher as black soldiers came back from the war, where they got to brandish a weapon with honor and be treated equally to white Europeans who weren't ready to go back to accepting subordination. This strengthening of their pride and hope for liberty and freedom when back in America coined the term the new Negro. 
This empowerment of black men created fear within the white community. Of course it did. In a letter written to soldiers coming home from World War One, W.E.B. Du Bois described the injustices of Jim Crow and inequality in the United States and urged soldiers to come back and use their fighting spirit to fight for their dignity and liberty within their own country. This iconic letter ended with, it was right for us to fight. The faults of our country are our faults. Under similar circumstances, we would fight again. But by the God of heaven, we are cowards and jackasses. If now that the war is over, we do not marshal every ounce of our brain and brawn to fight a sterner, longer, more unbending battle against forces of hell in our own land. We return. We return from fighting. We return fighting. Because of messages like this from Black leaders and the success of the Greenwood District, White Tolsons were engaging in astronomical amounts of vigilantism. Oh, God damn it. <sighs> Lynchings were common and harassment was constant. Yeah, that, that tracks. Lynchings were um, actually so common to the point where about a month before this massacre, a teenage boy who was in jail for murder had been taken from the courthouse and lynched. Oh, my God. A white boy, actually. Oh, no I clue mean, if he did it or not. Cause so like, shit, yeah, because, yeah, because lynching, you know, it subverts, you know, the, the hand of justice. Exactly. Yeah. I just, I, I can't. It's a problem. It is. So amidst all this racial tension that had built up for decades came the day that Dick Rowland entered the Drexel building and the tensions reached their breaking point. On May 30th, 1921, Dick Rowland entered an elevator and more than likely stepped on the foot of young white elevator operator Sarah Page. She screamed and he ran out of the building immediately. Oh, goddess. Now, the reason I say he more than likely stepped on her foot is that the historical rent record printed the next day in the Tulsa Tribune stated that he attempted to rape her under the headline, To Lynch Negro Tonight. What the but, oh, God, okay. This ruined the chances of having a fully accurate record of this incident because people who wanted to justify the violence maintained the attempted rape story. And this was an accepted reason in the 20th century to kill anyone Black, whether or not it were true. So Now, Roland had been arrested May 30th under the assumption of attempted rape and was being held in the Tulsa County Courthouse. Before the end of the day, on May 31st, there was a strong talk of lynching in the streets of Tulsa. By about 7.30 p.m., there was a mob of hundreds of white people outside the Tulsa County outside the Tulsa County Courthouse demanding the police return over Roland. The police refused them. This, of course, did nothing oh, to tame the crowd. <laughs> no, I was fully expecting them to be like, yeah, go at them. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. yeah. Well, I mean, they do tend to do their jobs, at least. You're not going to be happy with the National Guard. They're never on the correct side of these things. <sighs> well, no, between that... <laughs> Anyways. So this, of course, did nothing to tame the crowd, who stayed outside the courthouse waiting. 
By 9 p.m., the news of the desperate conditions downtown had reached the Greenwood District. Oh, God. A group of black men, many of them World War I veterans, went to the courthouse to offer their help in protecting Roland. These men were turned away. As a group of people from the mob attempted to break from the into the National Guard armory, rumors spread to Greenwood that the mob had begun storming the courthouse. A second group of black men gathered this time, much larger in size, and went down to the courthouse to offer help. They were once again turned away. As the men started to head back to Greenwood, a man from the mob attempted to disarm one of them, and a shot was fired from the gun. The riot began. In the next six hours came just the total destruction of anyone in the mob's way. Frustrated over a failed lynching, and the general existence of black people, the white mob began destroying the downtown Tulsa. Any black people seen downtown during this time were hunted and killed. Tulsa police deputized members of the mob, handing them guns and, according to eyewitnesses, instructing them to get a gun and get a nigger. I fucking said it. I fucking said yeah. the most surprising thing was that the cops didn't fucking turn them over. Yep. But... <laughs> yeah, yeah. They don't come out shiny. Members of Greenwood fought to hold off the mob from getting into Greenwood at the Frisco Railroad tracks. Meanwhile, members of the white mob were doing drive-by shootings in black residential neighborhoods. Greenwood's commercial district had been set aflame by midnight. In the early hours of June 1st, the mob began organizing a dawn invasion of Greenwood. Local units of the National Guard had been mobilized and were stationed outside of the wealthy white neighborhoods in case of a rumored black counterattack. Oh my god! Fuck it! I know you said I was going to be bad. Yes. I'm mad. Yeah. Fuck! Okay. America. America. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, the National Guard in, in these instances is never on the correct side. Fuck! Ugh. Remember in Little Rock when they kept kids out of the school? Yeah. Mm -hmm. mm, yeah. I'm sorry, I don't, I, I'm not very uh, talkative this episode. I'm just <laughs> really mad. It's a very difficult one not to just be pissed at. Ah! Uh, yeah. Ah! I was very in my feelings during research for this one. I'm fucking fat. <laughs> I mean, I'm over here, a random white lady that you picked up from the street. <laughs> <I'm in here. laughs> so, like, whatever I'm feeling, I'm sure that you're feeling in a much more complex way, about 20 <laughs> times more at the, at the at the lower end of the spectrum. Yeah, I've had a lot more time to process it, though. Uh, like, I knew, I did the little... You know, when, when people were talking about it, when Watchmen came out, I'd heard about it before, uh, yes. and then, like, I'd, and I'd kind of read about it then, and then I kind of read enough about it, so I was like, okay, I know the very basics of what happened. Yeah, yeah. But the specifics are really getting to me. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, the first time I heard about this, I was watching The Rise and Fall of Jim Crow by PBS, which oh. I highly recommend watching. Every mm -hmm. episode is available on YouTube. Um, it's incredible coverage of the Reconstruction era through the Civil Rights Movement. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Well, if we just hadn't fucked up Reconstruction by stopping. I and mean, that's like, why you don't 
go, why don't I make my vice president someone who disagrees with me 100% on everything? Okay, listen, I know that Lincoln's, like, the golden boy or whatever, but, like... I want to punch him in the face. (sighs) Dude, fucked up. Multiple things. Pride and joy of Illinois, my ass. Uh... Okay. And I will start singing Assassins. I sing. Point. Yes, I will. Yeah. yeah. I will too. Okay, great. I, I am holding myself back. I know, it's really hard. I just listened to that one this morning. Oh. Yeah, it's a fun a, one. Yeah, it's a 4th of July tradition. We we listen, to, I mean, and by we, I mean specifically me. And then I like force my family to as well. Nice. So it's Assassins, Ragtime, mostly the stuff concerning Cole House and Sarah. Oh. And then also everything with Emma Goldman. Um. I do a couple songs from Parade, but I can't do a lot of them because I, this happens. And then like, you know, some, a couple of Janelle Monáe ones and, and, you know, and then some like, some Jasper voice or Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson. I don't like Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson. I love much. Bloody Bloody Andrew It's Jackson. not quite my style. I, I did get to see the original production. Okay. That's fair. I saw the one at our college, which was fine. It was fine. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, getting, getting back to uh, Greenwood, but I do highly recommend uh, listening to all those musicals to celebrate the atrocities of America in a fun way. <laughs> also, the Janelle Monáe songs are America from Dirty Computer and Tightrope, which I think was a single. I could be wrong. No, not a single. It's on uh, which one is it? Arc Android. Oh, yeah, it's a fun one. Yeah. Yeah. Although Stronger is a single that she just came out with. It's also very good. Ooh, yeah. Um... But the mob was able to gather outside the Greenwood district and prepare for dawn. I know. I know it's hard. Just let's reiterate where the National Guard was guarding. The wealthy white neighborhoods. Ah! Yes. Go on. At dawn, the mob came down on the Greenwood district. Mm -hmm. They invaded homes and businesses, looting, raping, torturing, murdering their way through the Greenwood district. The citizens fought back as best they could, but ultimately they were simply outgunned and outmanned and honestly taken off guard because a lot of them were asleep and people just entered their homes. The mob had low flying planes shooting at people, according to many survivors. No! Yeah. How the... (sighs) It's Oklahoma. People got toys. I guess... What the f- I'm not, I'm not doubting your research at all. I'm just very I mad. I'm very, I, yeah. It's actually mentioned in the speech that one of the only surviving people did a couple months ago to Congress about the massacre. Mm-hmm. She mentions hearing planes. It's, her testimony is um, bone chilling. I, I fucking bet. Yeah. God. I highly recommend watching it. It's beautiful. Oh, God. She was just a kid, wasn't she? She was, she like... was a teeny little thing, yeah. Because oh, she's like in like a hundred something. Right. Oh. Um, I think she's 107. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So she yeah. was, yeah. Just old enough to remember. Oh, that's, yeah. Mm-hmm. And she describes seeing bodies in the street and hearing people screaming and crying. Yeah, it, Mm-hmm. It's a lot. Yeah, I'm a little nauseous. Do you need some water? We can. No, I'm okay. 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 Uh, so they stole anything they could run with, and set fire to anything they couldn't. 
when additional National Guard troops arrived in Tulsa at approximately 9.15 a.m., the majority of the 35 square blocks of the Greenwood District had been on fire. After the massacre, it was labeled a riot and blamed on the Black population of Tulsa. The inflaming Tulsa Tribune article had been pulled from the official record and destroyed. Oh, fuck that. The original record stated that 30 people had died in the massacre, but is now estimated to be as much as 300 dead. Thousands of victims were left homeless with nothing to rebuild. Many families fled Tulsa after the massacre, including the father of Greenwood, O.W. Gurley. Those who weren't wealthy enough to leave were left on their own to survive. They were forced to live in tents and had to survive the winter of 1921 to 22 exposed to the elements. Many families have never recovered from the massacre. Dick Rowland was exonerated of charges of attempted rape. And he fled Tulsa. Yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad he was okay. I'm glad he was able to get away. But my God. Yeah. People never got to him, but... I mean, yeah. just that poor guy thinking about, like... The amount of people who died. Yeah. Because he because was falsely he, acclu- accused. Yeah. He... He stepped on her or he surprised her in some way. For some reason, she screamed and it was very innocent. She testified it to being an innocent thing. Oh, so she wasn't. Oh, so she wasn't pulling the same thing that the woman in the Emmett Till case did. No. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I I am both less. Exactly why he was fully exonerated. Ah. Yeah. In in. In this very small way, I am less mad mm-hmm. at this one woman. Yes. I am also... The entire... The white population of Tulsa that night. Ah! We're either doing that or not getting their cousins. Yeah. And... Uh, yeah. Yeah. A lot of people... A lot of people are dead because of it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Fuck. And they only recently found the mass grave right one of them yeah in 1997 a state commission was formed to evaluate the damage caused by the massacre and to see if reparations were in order for the families who suffered what did they find melody they were able to determine that the generational damage caused by the massacre was great enough to recommend reparations cool did they happen melody no i couldn't I'm going to turn up. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, it's not. You shouldn't apologize for things that happened in history, especially because they happened to people who looked like you. And... I know. Listen, if I'm not apologizing for every single goddamn white person, then you don't have to apologize for the fucking commission. Who said, yeah, they should get some stuff for this. But and not, then yeah, it's, didn't. It's not technically up to the state commission. It's up to Tulsa city officials. Oh, really? Yes. The ones who can probably chase, trace their lineage to people who fucking burned Black Wall Street. Yes, exactly. And murdered and raped people. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. I'm shocked. <laughs> so shocking. Who's in charge right now? Uh, okay. 
Last year, the Race Riot Commission uncovered a mass grave in Oaklawn Cemetery by tracking inconsistencies in the distance between graves on the black side of the cemetery. Oh, I know. The bodies were all given a formal burial. The search for mass graves continues. There is a belief that a section of the Arkansas River that in 1921 was an open field that is believed to have more mass graves. Ground penetrating radar was used in 2019, and forensic scientists were able to determine that there were areas under the river that are consistent with mass graves. Awesome. And there's no real way to reach those bodies now, is there? Um, I mean, yeah, it's a little grosser because there's a river there. I mean, fair. The PBS documentary Tulsa the Fire and the Forgotten covers the search for the mass graves, and I highly, highly recommend it, um, watching it if you get the chance. It's truly amazing. Um, it's incredible to watch people really searching for these people. Yeah. Um, it also shows a local reverend from the area who stands outside of the Tulsa City Courthouse every Wednesday. Cool. To demand reparations. Good. Good. Yeah. Um, so as the search goes on and the stories are told, it is the responsibility of Americans alive now to not let the historical event be lost in our history anymore and to teach it accurately to future generations. It fucking is. Yep. And that and, is... And reparations. Reparations would help. Reparations, yes. You know, I wouldn't mind paying a bit more in my taxes. Yeah. To help repair at least some of the generational wealth that was lost to atrocities like these, as well as redlining and, you yes. know, slavery. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> like, can we... Can we fix some of the property tax issues that keeps our the, the schools in poor areas? I, I mean, the fact that we pay for areas. schools with property taxes from an individual area is deeply fucked up. Oh yeah. I mean, the fact the fact that <sighs> we don't have the time to go into this, and I don't have all my sources lined up because I'm yeah not the one who has sources in this podcast. <laughs> I mean the the way the way that we fund education is so fucking spotty and patchworked. It's yep. almost like the inequality is built into the system. Yeah. Hmm. I know I'm not saying anything new. It's yeah. Just, I'm very. <sighs> yeah, but it's it's truly horrifying to look at pictures of like Detroit schools where it's like the wealthy areas and then the black areas. And you're like, oh my motherfucker. <sighs> It's like, like the wealthy area will be like, oh, yes, we have yoga classes and everything's perfect and everything is shiny and we get, you know. New computers every two years. Yeah. And, yeah. And then the ones in the black areas are literally falling apart and still have asbestos. And like, what the fucking hell? And people, and these schools will be under the exact same school board sometimes. Oh, yeah. And the school board will be like, nah, it's fine. And also, they'll be getting, like, food that's, like, spoiled and expired. Oh, absolutely, yeah. You can't... We owe children, regardless of whose children they are, an education and a safe space to learn and a safer world than the one that we grew up in. And food. At the very least, we can feed them decent food 
and give them a place to go to school where they aren't breathing in toxic fumes. It, the bar is underground. <laughs> the, it's not, it. <sighs> that is true. The bar is very much underground. It's underground. <sighs> I don't, how do you want to wrap this up? <laughs> I want it. Um, I mean. You want to I, go get talkies? Yeah, I will probably want to go get talkies, but I feel just as speechless as the first time I watched The Rise and Fall of Jim Crow. My teacher, I remember he was so annoyed at our class because, like, after the first episode, he, like, kind of was like, all right, any comments? And, like, everyone was just kind of silent. But I feel like a lot of us were just processing a whole lot of shit we weren't told about. It's a lot to what drop it was like after slavery. Yeah. Like, I just sat there like, I mean, I knew about Emmett Till. I'd seen pictures. I didn't get into the level of detail that the documentary did. Yeah. And did a they lot... show pictures of his grave now with the... His grave now? Or the or the, the memorial that's up with the... Yeah. 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 It's an image that doesn't leave you. Mm-mm. Anywho, I kind of want to go get Takis. Good comfort food. <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna get Cheetos because uh, I am, as we as we said at the beginning of the podcast, I am white people, um, <laughs> and therefore um, my taste buds can do seasoning, but not spice. Love you, love you too. Okay, well, we hope you keep listening to the show. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you would like to follow us on on the socials. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It's a scary life. If you would like to donate, patreon.com slash it's a scary life and check out the different memberships available there. Help us get snack food and pizza. Snack food and pizza, yeah. I do I do like to feed Ellen pizza after telling her these horrific things. Yes, it's so. very effective. <laughs> Other than like my deep love and friendship for you, Melody, like the pizza does keep me coming back for these episodes. <laughs> I mean, fair. Yeah. 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 I mean, it wouldn't be the first time my cooking people has kept people around so I could tell them horrific things about the world. So. <laughs> I have a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, just shallow friendships. It's fine. Oh, <laughs> I did say besides my abiding love and friendship, though. Yes. Do you want to point that out? Okay. All right. <laughs> well, we hope that you all have a wonderful day. Go get therapy, please. Go get some therapy. Support and, reparations in your communities. Yes, absolutely. Learn some history. Like, even when it sucks. Like, I really respect Evanston. Because Evanston has fucking reparations. Yeah. I mean, also, they have um, a black chief of police who actually... Like, is a shit. He's yeah. doing his job. He's, yeah, he's working hard. Yeah. Yeah. Gotta respect Evanston. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And lots of guilty white people, which I think is a, a good place for us to start. Yeah, yeah. Guilty white people <sighs> will buy more shit. True. It's exhausting, though. I know. <laughs> but do you want the money? I do want the money. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We hope you have a wonderful day, a wonderful life. Go get therapy. Go get therapy. Goodbye. Bye.